0: Does God suffer? Does God suffer? Now, if we're going to title a series by the name of The Suffering of God, then this is the question we are really asking. Does God suffer? One of the things we need to realise about this discussion of suffering God is that for many centuries, probably 1,500 years, thereabouts, probably more, This concept was completely absent in people's understanding of what God must be like. To speak of a God who suffers was absolutely inconceivable. The belief was that our world, with all its pain and turmoil, had the potential to expose God to these things. And so, God must use his power to preserve himself from becoming a victim. The assumption was that God needed to guard himself from every kind of pain and destruction that humans experienced. Ultimately, God was seen as a self protecting monarch, unmoving, unchanging, unsuffering. Now, the theological term for this understanding is the impassibility of God this concept that he is incapable of suffering. Or feeling pain. But in the 21st century we find ourselves in a time and place in history where as human beings interacting with a living God we need to ask tough questions based on our experiences and we need to face the implications of our theology. Now let's not forget that theology is more than a block of knowledge of God. Theology is our ongoing attempt to describe how we interact with God, but also how God interacts with us. Is it possible that this mighty, powerful, loving God of the universe does in fact immerse himself in our pain? If our answer is yes, then we might too quickly conclude that this means that this same God is helpless and inactive. If God is here, why is there still suffering in our world? Those who think this is true often misquote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, writing from a Nazi prison in 1944, said this, God allows himself to be edged out of the world and onto the cross. God is weak and powerless in the world and, and that is exactly the way, the only way in which God can be with us and help us. The argument here is that Bonhoeffer must be talking about the helplessness of God in the world. But this is not what he's saying. He's not talking about helpless and absent God. He's actually talking about a God who is without power. And I'm using that word power in the same way that our world understands the concept of power. He goes on to say this. This opens up a way of seeing God of the Bible who wins power and space in the world by his weakness. So I want to take on Bonhoeffer's challenge and I want to see what the Bible says about God and his suffering. But there is possibly no better story that captures this theological shift in our understanding of God's suffering and his presence with us than that of a Holocaust survivor called Eli Wiesel. If you do any study on the suffering of God, this story will always come up because he had to wrestle with this. While in a concentration camp, the SS guards one day hung two Jewish men and a young person in front of the whole camp. The men died quickly but the youngest one did not. Listen to what Wazel writes. Where is God? Where is he? Someone behind me asked, but the third rope was still moving. Being so light, the young person was still alive. For more than half an hour, he stayed there struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony under our eyes, and we had to look him full in the face. Behind me, I heard the same voice ask him, Where is God now? And I heard a voice within me answer him, Where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here in these gallows. So, Jewish theology has had to come to terms with this understanding of where uh, God is in human suffering, particularly in response to the Jewish experience of the Holocaust. If you look at liberation theology, looks at the problems of poverty and social injustice experienced mainly by South American people. What does Christ as liberator look like in a land filled with corruption and oppression? Black theology emerged in response to the suffering, the exploitation and the displacement of people from African descent and their story of slavery. Japanese theology has tried to understand the significance of the gospel of the cross from an Eastern perspective of wrath and love, culminating in the work of a man by the name of Katamori and his book called Theology of the Pain of God, published in 1946, one year later, one year after the Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bombings. But it's our turn as well. Let's not shy away from these sorts of questions. Where is God in our suffering? In Australia, right here, right now, how do we see God in our suffering? Think about Australia's convict past or how white um, folk treated Aboriginals and their communities or our involvement in Gallipoli, the significance of Anzac Day. Our country, Australia, is built on suffering. But I wonder, this is the question I'm asking myself, have we been trying to run away from it ever since? Have we been trying to run away from suffering ever since? All the technological advancements, all the scientific and medical research, the unprecedented amount of information at our fingertips still cannot deal with our primal experience of pain. We have all these things available, especially in the West rich world, especially in our great country of ours, Australia. But pain and suffering are as real today as it always has been. So as Bonhoeffer says, let's go to the God of the Bible. And the first point I want to make one of three. The first one I want to make is that God knew suffering before time began. God knew suffering before time began. In Revelation thirteen eight, we read these words, "...all, inhabit, all inhabitants at, of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world." This verse is saying that before the world was created, there was a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb, where we've been singing before, the Lamb is Jesus Christ. But it's not just Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ crucified. The book belongs to him. When God made the world, Jesus Christ slain was there from the beginning. What he saw was a people who were written in the book purchased by the blood of the one. The one was Jesus, the lamb that was slain. And uh, we shouldn't ignore this word, the significance of this word slain. The Apostle Paul is, uh, sorry, the Apostle John, who wrote this, this um, descriptor, he used the word slain, which literally means slaughtered. He's the only one that uses that slaughtered let's think about this carefully jesus slaughter was not an afterthought as if god created the world and then had to come up with a plan to get it right think about this it was a pre-thought god had this book in mind before the foundations of the world so here's my second point it builds on the first. If God knew suffering from the beginning of time, then suffering was never too far away from grace. Suffering is never too, too far away from grace. Here's what 2 Timothy 1.9 says. He, was, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything that I have done, not because of anything that you have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And he goes on to say, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God gave us grace before time began. Think about that. God gave us undeserved favor. That's what grace means undeserved favor, his favor towards sinners, that type of grace he gave to us. Before we were even created, before we existed and chose to sin, God had already established grace. But it wasn't just grace out of the blue, it was grace in Christ, in the lamb that was slain, that was slaughtered. The suffering of Christ is the avenue in which God provides us with his grace. He has no other way to give it. If you want to know God's grace, you have to know Christ crucified. What is grace if it doesn't come from a position to be able to give it? One can't give grace unless he has done something that allows him to be able to give it to others. God gave us what was His to give. Grace through suffering was always part of the picture from the beginning of time. So I want to know, why would God do this? I think the answer for me is actually my third point, which builds on the first two. If God knew suffering... Before time began, and if suffering is never too far away from grace, then God wants us to know Him in this capacity and respond to Him. In other words, suffering draws us closer to part of God's character we would otherwise not know. We read these words in Ephesians. For He chose us in Him, in Jesus, in Christ, in the Lamb, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasures and will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. The suffering and the death Of this Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, gives us the fullest, the clearest, the surest display of His glorious grace. What I'm saying is that we were created to know His grace, and the only way we get to know His grace is through His suffering. We can't accept one and not the other. Suffering was never God's intention, let's be clear about that for his creation. When he created, he didn't think, um, I'll I'll introduce suffering just to make things interesting. He didn't think like that. We brought this upon ourselves as a result of wanting to reject him from the beginning. But to deal with our sin, to deal with our suffering, he makes Jesus Christ and his suffering the centerpiece of his story. Jesus at the Jesus on the cross, slain before all creation, is the centerpiece of God's story. Your suffering this is good news your suffering is not the centerpiece of God's story. Jesus and His suffering are, and it will always and it always has been, and it always will be. God even gives us a picture. Of what this, the end of this amazing story looks like in Revelation 5. So, this is the end of the, end of the book. This is a picture of what will happen, what the, the things are that, that have yet to come. Then I looked, this is John speaking. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, "Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise." That's not what it says. It says, "Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Worship of the Son of the living God is not because he was powerful, but because he was slain. This is what Bonhoeffer was trying to communicate from prison. God is weak and powerless in the world, and that is exactly the way, the only way, in which God can be with us and help us. So it is not by His omnipotence, this all-powerful God, it's not because of His power that Christ helps us, but by His weakness and His suffering. Think about this, and I don't want to be controversial, but we need to be careful about what we're talking about and when we're talking about it. Think about this, God's power didn't put Jesus on the cross. It was his weakness, his emptiness. God's power comes later. On the third day, what happens? Jesus comes back to life. Power comes to Jesus through God, through the Father, and he comes to life. But it's weakness first, then power. And really what Bonhoeffer is trying to do is he's trying to say what Paul and Timothy said in Philippians. Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The Greek word for this is kenosis, this, uh, this self-emptying. Now, God is the only powerful being. He is all-powerful to be able to empty himself so that then he can deal with our suffering. Of course God is powerful, but it's not his power that puts Jesus on the cross. It's his self-emptying. It's the kenosis. It's the ability that only he has to be able to get rid of everything that he has so that he could suffer once and for all. So I want to finish with this final thought. Those who suffer and wrestle with God in their suffering know more about God's own character than those who choose to avoid it. Can I say that again? Those who suffer and wrestle with God, I think it's okay to wrestle with God. If it wasn't okay to wrestle with God, why would we have the Psalms? Sarah said that she hated God. The Psalms say it's okay to hate God. God can take it. Why? Because He knows what you're going through. He knows exactly the picture that you're faced with. But I think there's more to it than this. It's okay to say that God comes along me, comes along us, beside us, and knows our pain and knows what we're going through. I think that's okay to say, but I think there's something much more profound, deeper, going on if God knew suffering represented in the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time then we're invited as his followers as his disciples to get to know him in this way just as we would do with many other of God's attributes we talk about God's love we talk about his mercy his kindness his power he already was these things before time began. He didn't become merciful once Jesus died on the cross. He didn't become a gracious God once Jesus died on the cross. He was all these things before time began. As John Piper says, whether we are abled or disabled, Enduring loss or delighted in friends, delighting in friends, suffering pain or savoring pleasure. All of us who believe in Christ, don't forget the suffering Christ, the Lamb that was slain, all those who believe in this, in Him, are immeasurably rich in Him and have so much to live for. Don't waste your life, He says. Savor the riches of that you have in Christ and spend yourself no matter what the cost to spread the riches to this desperate world and this is the theme that we pick up next week where is God in our suffering here he is hanging here in these gallows let me pray Lord, I want to thank you for the challenge that you've given us to come um, always, to come to know you. We open your scripture, we open your word to get to know this amazing God, this powerful God, this intimate God. But Lord, thank you for the challenge to not shy away from the implications of what it means to want to know a suffering God. Lord, what I think this means is that you're calling us your children, your disciples, Door of Hope, you're calling this community to be able to suffer in order that we would get to know you in ways that we would not otherwise get to know you. And so, Lord, if we're going to suffer, then I pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us courage, that you would give us the ability to be able to turn to you in our pain, Lord, I thank you that if I'm going to choose to suffer for you, if I'm going to accept that this is painful and that this is part of who you are, then what I want to do is I always want to suffer with Jesus. I never, ever, ever want to go uh, and experience pain in this world without the name of Jesus. This lamb that was slain is the reason that we are here. And so, Lord, may these words that we've sung already this morning be true for us and that is that you stand in the fire with us you roar like a lion you bled as the lamb and the reason we can sing and the reason that we can celebrate you and what you did on the cross is because you have done something about our suffering may we suffer well with you in Jesus name amen amen